If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem said to me, sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messages, messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Samballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all want to frighten us, thinking, Their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehedabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me, because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid." So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Hey, man, so how many here are glad that that masculinity isn't defined by your muscles? Like, raise your hand. Go ahead. So you can't even raise your, can't even raise your hand. You're so weak. You just can't even, like... I'm working on it, man. I'm working on it. Uh, that's going to be awesome, man. I just get pumped up every time I see that video. And I'm just thinking, like, man, one of these times I'm going to preach a sermon with my hair getting cut. Like, if I could just sit right here. That guy's so cool. He cuts his hair, preaches a sermon. It's amazing. Hey, wasn't it, if you were here last week, wasn't Jerron amazing? Wasn't he awesome last week? Yeah, it was. I'm just going to trust that that you weren't here if you weren't clapping. I'll, I'll, that's, that's what I'll tell Duran anyway. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was absolutely amazing. And in fact, what he, if you weren't here, he did preach on, on gratitude. And, and it just led me to be, it led me to spend most of my week just being grateful for the things that, that, that God has given me. And, and one of those things is, is you all, like you guys. Like I was just, man, I just became really grateful to God for this opportunity to, to not only just be a part, but they have the opportunity to lead. And I just say, man, you guys make it. It's just such a joy. It's such a, it's a, it's a joy of my life to be able to, to be a part of this church and to lead this church. I just want to say thank you. Can we all just clap for yourselves? Clap for yourselves. Awesome. Thank you very much. I'm so, 
grateful for that. And we are now in uh, week number three. And uh, the, the big idea is that there are words in your, that in your, if you're simple words, if you learn to say at the right time, and they can make a huge, huge impact on your life. And today's word is used by um, people who are the most successful in life. I'll say it that way. People who are the most successful in society know how to use this word. So great athletes, great business people, great students, great parents, great friends, people who make an impact, people who, who, who have long-term sustained success know how to say this word. You ready for the word? You ready to write it down? Here's the word. No. The word is no. They know how to say no. They, they know how to use that word. Great athletes say no to sleeping in and eating donuts. Great businesses say no to opportunities that are outside of their core competencies. Great parents say no to their children. They say no to hobbies. They, say may no, may say may, they may say no to their careers. They say no to showers. They say no to a lot of things. They say no in order to be great parents. Great friends say no to themselves, their own preferences, to be a great friend. Great friends say uh, you before me. And uh, now there are times where the great friends will say no to the friend, you're going down the wrong path, but they, they, they say no as well. And today we're going to hear a story about a man who knew how to use that word no. Uh, God gave him a burden for his purposes that inspired him to do just this amazing feat. And uh, it was a great work. It was a difficult work. It was a hard work. He faced lots of opposition. He faced lots of distraction. And like all people who do great things, he, he learned to say no. And here's what I've learned in my, in my life. To, to say yes to the great things, you have to learn to say no to the good things. To say yes to the great things, you have to learn to say no to the good things. As, I've, as God has, has spoken things to me and, and led me in my life, I've just learned in order for me to say no to the great things, I have to say no to the good things. And if you're new here, uh, we're, that you, you need to know that God does have great things for you. You may not even know that, but he absolutely does. You know, the, the sky is blue, the sun is hot, and God has great things for you. He wants great things for you. Ephesians 2.10 says that these things are ordered for us, that before the foundation of the world, he put things into motion and, he, and every day, every day, every year, he has, he has great things. If it's a God thing, it's a great thing. He has great things for you to do, and he wants you to walk in those things. So if you're here and you're like, man, I have no idea what this is, I've got great news for you. I've got, two good, I've got two pieces of good news for you. One is that you can pray to him. This is what Jeremiah 33 says. He says, call to me and I'll answer you. I will tell you. What's that word say? See, I told you he's got great. Now, they may be hidden things. But he's got great things for you. And so if you don't even know what those are, you, like, you can call out to him today, in fact, and he'll begin to, to show you what those things are. The other thing is, is like we organize our entire church around helping people know their purpose. We believe that God made you on purpose for a purpose. And so our growth track, that is all about helping you take the next steps in your relationship with Jesus. So maybe that's a, if you're new here, that is the next thing that you need to do. All this message is simply saying, okay, I need to go to growth track to figure out what God would have me to do. And so I'm going to tell you this story. We're going to go through this story again uh, from the Old Testament. And I pray that this, this one thing, this thing that God has, is, is zeroing in in this season, that he's got a great thing for you to focus on in this season. I'm hoping that you'll uh, gain a new passion for that, 
as I'm talking, some of you know what that is, um, and I, my hope is that you will, you will leave here today with a new sense of zeal and commitment to doing that one thing that, that God has for you. So the story, Nehemiah, uh, takes place in about 444 BC. It takes place around uh, the time of Xerxes, uh, which you may have studied in ancient history, and by looking at your faces, I'm going to say maybe not. And so we, uh, anyway, he's a, he's a guy in ancient history, okay? And he, and he, he oversaw this, uh, this, this kingdom that was a, the area called Persia. And it was the dominant world force at the time. And so Nehemiah worked for King Xerxes. Again, he was the king of Persia. And his official role was he was a cupbearer. And so the, every king had a cupbearer, like if you, if it had you know, poison in it, like our coronavirus or something like they would know, they would drink it and they would get it and they, they would know. And so Nehemiah, that was a bad joke. So uh, Nehemiah's official role was a cupbearer to the king, but it was more than that. He was an official, he was a friend. That's what happens by the third service, by the way, is you just, you just, your tongue gets a little loose. Um, shame on me. So he was a friend, he was an official, but he was more than that because he was also, he was, a, he was Jewish, and so he was technically a slave. So even he had this prominent role, he was technically a slave. It was kind of like um, in the book of Daniel. Daniel was, was technically under captivity. In fact, that's how this all started. A hundred years before this, uh, the Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, took Israel captive. And so there were, there were other guys like that you may have heard of, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they were they were also taken into captivity, and now we're at a hundred years later after the Babylonians first um, took them into captivity, and now it's being led by uh, the Persian rulership by King Xerxes, and um, Nehemiah hears about how the city of Jerusalem, the the beloved city of Jerusalem, had been in ruins all these years, and something just broke his heart. And he's like, man, I've got I got to get after this. And so he, he goes to King Xerxes, say, look, I know, you know, I, I need some time off. And which is, you know, he's a slave and he doesn't get time off. But he's like, hey, I need some time off. And King Xerxes is like, okay, I'll do you one better. I'll give you the time off. Plus, I'll give you all the resources you need to do what you need to do. But you just need to come back um, to this. So he goes and he leaves and he spends a lot of time preparing for this trip. He gets all the money, all the, the lumber and, he, and the building materials. And he heads to the city of Jerusalem. Now, this is what's important to understand is that it's important to understand that the, uh, the people living in Jerusalem, because this may be difficult to get our minds around, the people living in Jerusalem, they had their walls been torn down for so long, and they lived in a city that just had, there was no gates, there were no walls. And so the, the, their entire national self-esteem was built into the city, but the city had no walls to protect them. And so the surrounding region had all these warlords who were basically like school bullies that would beat you up and take your lunch money. And that's what they did with the Israelites over and over again. Every time the Israelites would get a good crop or whatever, these people would come in and just pillage them and take their stuff. And so Nehemiah sees this and he shows up and it just breaks his heart. And he's like, okay, something's got to be done about this. And there's a lot of problems he could have went after. But the thing that God zeroed in for him was rebuilding this wall. I mean, the economy was in shambles, but he didn't worry about the economy. You know, their leaders need to be put in place, but he didn't worry about setting that into place. There are all these problems, but the thing that he focused on was the city, excuse me, the rebuilding the, these walls. So 
Nehemiah gathers all the people together and everyone in the surrounding region, and he casts this unbelievable vision and galvanizes these people to go to work. In fact, if you're a leader and you just like stuff on leadership, you should read the book of Nehemiah just to learn about leadership because this guy, man, he just he led in a phenomenal way, cast an incredible vision and, and galvanized these people. And so it was a big, big task, but they were making progress. So if you, as you read, as we're leading up to uh, Nehemiah 6, this is going somewhere, so hang tight with me. <clears throat> as they're, they're, they're beginning to make progress, and as they begin to make progress, the sur- people in the surrounding region are like, uh-oh, like, this is going to be a problem for us because our thing was taking their stuff. And if they have these walls, we can't take their stuff anymore. That's a problem. In fact, they may even like, get an army and take, you know, take stuff from us. So like, we need to do something about this. And so the leader of this rebellion, this opposition, was a guy named Sam Ballot. And Sam Ballot had a lot of influence in the region. And so he decided to do something about this. And so they sent all these spies. They started rumors. They began to infiltrate to discourage people. And when that didn't work, I mean, they actually sent armed forces in there to attack people on the wall. And, and they were able to fight them off. And so finally, um, it, the, the wall was getting close to where it was being rebuilt. And, and, and Sam Ballot realizes that his, his, his plans aren't working. So he decided to go to a, a different strategy uh, to get him outside of the city. And so once he could get him outside the city, then maybe he could do something, I don't know, maybe kill him or something to get him to stop. And so it's in chapter six that we begin to see this encounter between Samballot and Nehemiah as he tries to distract him from the work. And it's, it's in the context of this, okay? This is why this is important. It's in the context of this, these verses, that... There's something that Nehemiah does, I'm telling you, if you can get a hold of this, is going to not just impact your year, but I'm saying it could absolutely transform your life. And as I thought about, when I thought about this series and I thought about some of the things that, that God has shown me in my life that have really helped me to follow the things that he has for me and to follow the impact, this is one of those places. So I hope that it helps you as much as it helped has helped me. So verse 6, uh, we're just going to go through a few of these just one more time just to make sure we get the story. So now when Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem of Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, so they're making progress. And a breach, again, is just like a low spot on the wall or an actual hole. So verse uh, 2, it says, so Samballot and Geshem sent to me saying, so they're getting ready to send them a message. These guys realize that they need to do something to stop them, so they send them a message. And this is what they said. It said, come and let us meet together. Let's have coffee. Let's have lunch. Let's have dinner. Let's, let's just have a conversation here. And, but Nehemiah discerned that they just didn't want to have a conversation because he says this, but they intended to do me harm. They just wanted to distract him, but he realized that they were uh, to do him harm. So it says this. It says, so he sent a message back to them. So Nehemiah sent a message back to him. And here's the part, okay? Here's the part that I think has the power to absolutely transform your year and maybe the rest of your life if you're able to incorporate this. In fact, I would just want to say, my, my hope is that if, if there's a breach in your marriage, you would declare this over your marriage. If there's a breach in your parenting, my hope is you would declare this in your parenting. If there's, a, if there's an issue in any relationship, any sense of unforgiveness, any pattern of sin, my, my prayer is you would speak it over this. If there's, a, if there's an area of ministry that you know God has been putting your, his finger on you to do, my hope is that you would declare it 
over this. And here's what it is. This is what Nehemiah says. He says, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. You tell Sam Ballot that I am doing a great work right here, and I cannot come down. In light of what God wants to do for me, in light of what God wants to do in me, in light of what God wants to do through me, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. No, I will not do that. I think this is so powerful. I just think it'd be great if we could all say this together. I'm going to say this, this phrase together. You ready to say it all together? Ready for this? I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Let's do it a, a second time. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Now, I want you to t- take a second. Some of you will, are going to know what this is right away. Some of you may have some searching to do. But I want you to close your eyes for a second. I just want you to think about what that one thing could be. Maybe, there's, maybe it is your marriage. You know that you need, there's something in your marriage, there's a breach in your marriage that you need to take care of. Maybe it is with a child. Maybe it is with a, a parent or a friend. Or it could be your finances. There's a breach in your finances. There's an issue of unforgiveness. There may be some kind of besetting sin, addiction. Or it could be, on a, on a more positive note, it could be an opportunity that you know that God has just been pressing on you and pressing on you. Whatever that is, I want you to think about this. And you may need to close your eyes so you can, or sorry, open your eyes so you can read this. But we'll say this for a third time. But I want you to think about that issue as you say it. You think about what could distract you. Think about what could keep you from this. Let's say it again. I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. There's something in your life that I know, that I know, that I know. Something great that God would have you do in this season. And I believe what he would want to do in your life, he'd want to give you a resolve to climb up on that ladder and to take a stand and not come down until it's finished in a relationship, in your finances, whatever it is, to not come down. I mean, Nehemiah, he goes on to say, why should I stop? Why should the work stop? Why come down and talk to you? I won't be distracted from this. And and they didn't just give up. It says in, in verse four, it says, and they said to me four times this way. They kept pulling me down, pulling me down. And I answer them in the same manner. Come on, Nehemiah, come down. You know, certainly you're not going to do this 24-7. You could take a five-minute break. But he says, no, I am not going to come down. And I've seen that true in my life. The things that God has pressed upon me to do the most, the things that I know that God has asked me to do, those are the things that have the most opposition, the most sense of distraction, and I've just, God's helped me to see that in order for me to, do the, to say yes to the great things God's called me to do, I have to learn to say no to some good things. Every great work that God gives you will come under attack. We have to learn what Nehemiah learned to say, which is no, I am not coming down for I'm doing a great work. Now, this is why it's significant for us. Now, Nehemiah didn't, he discerned this. He didn't know this explicitly. 
But if he had come down, these guys would have taken his life. And did you know that there are things that in your life and there are things in my life that if I don't complete them, if I don't focus on them, if, if I don't deal with them, they have the potential to destroy my life as well. And that's true for you. John 10.10, 10, very famously, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. The, th- the thief there are false shepherds. I mean, there's the enemy of our soul, the El Diablo, the devil, who's behind false shepherds and distractions, and he used anything. But it's false shepherds who've come to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that he may have life. God has great things for you. And whatever that great thing is, it's for your good, it's for your life. In fact, it's better than what you think it is. He's got great things for you. There are false shepherds, there are false gods, even false friends who want to steal your passion. They, don't, they want to kill your vision and destroy your work. There's, a, there's an enemy behind, the, there's an enemy behind any distraction from the work that God has called us to do. Now, some of you really feel this because you, you've experienced it. I mean, it may, be a, a, it may be an issue of unforgiveness, for example. It may be an issue in your finances, your marriage. And every time it comes up, you have this moment of inspiration to do something about it that just goes away. You, you just, there's everything in the world is keeping you from doing that one thing that you know you're supposed to be doing. You know you're supposed to be doing. In fact, a few minutes into the sermon, you knew exactly what I was talking about. They pull away and they pull away and they pull away. And this happens over and over and over and over. There's a breach in your finances. There's a breach in your marriage. There's a breach in your relationship. For some of you parents, listen, like you're going to have to go, you should go home tonight and you should go in, when they're asleep, go to your kids and stroke their hair and just declare over them aloud, I am about a great work with you. You are my great work. And I will not come down until it's come. I won't let anything distract me from this responsibility of of training and loving and parenting this child. For those of you who have parents of teenagers, you do the same thing. You need to walk in the room when they're asleep. So maybe it's late. So you may have, if you're like me, you'll have to set your alarm, you know, so you can wake up after they go to. And you go in their room and their big old bodies. You're like, how do they get so big so fast? And you look at them, and you say the same thing. I am about a great work. And this, this, this teenager, this, this young person who's going to go on beyond me, this is my great work. I'm not going to let anything distract me from this great work. It's the greatest thing I can give my life to. I'm not going to listen to my career. I'm not going to come down from this wall. I'm not going to let career, hobbies, self-interest, anything my own sense of habit, distract me from that great work. Men, you have to, that picture you have of your spouse or your, your family, maybe, you need to look at that picture. You need to say the same thing. I'm about a great work in my marriage. Yeah, there are hobbies I can pursue. There, there's money I can make. There's career. There's buddies. There's all this stuff. But I, this is my great work. I'm not coming down until this is the best it can be. 
I'm giving myself to this marriage. Wives, you need the same thing. You need to look at your husbands. And you need to say, well, you're a piece of work. Uh, no, it's just, you're, you're, you are a great work. You are a great work. That's what I feel. I'm insecure, maybe. Like, that's how it may, I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're thinking. But um, you're a great work, and I will not come down until this. You're a college student. You're a single adult. You're a teenager. There's things for you to do. There's critical things for you to do. There, there are things you know you've got to do. There's a wall for you. There's a breach. There are things that you know that if you do will be disaster. You know this. You know this. Can't tell you how many times I've talked to a young person and they will say, and like I can't even believe they don't even hide it anymore. They'll just say, I know God wants me to do this, but this is what I'm going to do. I know this is what the Bible says, but this is what I feel to do in my heart. You know that spells disaster, but there are things you can do that will spell success. And once you know this, you need to get on your wall and you say, I am not coming down until this is complete. You're cute, but I'm not coming down. I'm staying here and doing the work that I know that God has asked me to do. So it may even be a certain set of friends that you have. I love hanging out with you, but I'm not coming down for you. I'm about a great work. Anything God asks you to do is a great work. My challenge for you as you face this year is will you climb up that ladder? And will you get on that wall until it is finished? I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Well, again, it's the fact that, again, Nehemiah, he, he, the fact that he wouldn't come down even after these four distractions, they still kept coming. And that's the thing. The thing that God asked you to do is just enemy is going to keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. And so they started rumor about him. And they're like, man, if you don't, you know, the King Xerxes, he, he's, he, he's going to find out that you've been prophesying this and you've been saying this and you're going to be in trouble. You better run for your life. He just shakes his head. It's like, man, I'm not leaving. I, my life may be in danger, but I am not leaving this work. God has given me a great work, and I cannot come down. You see, there's another thing about the great work God's called you to do. It's not about you. The great work that God's called you to do may even contradict you, may contradict what you want. But it's great. It's a great thing that you cannot come down. Then his friends, his friends tried to, I mean, sometimes his good, well-intended friends, his friend, uh, he had this friend named Shemiah, which I always think of like Laverne and Sherry, Shemiah, Shemiah. Anyway, um, they, that may have been too old. Maybe some of you, that way, it should have went that way. His friend comes to him for his own safety. He was like, hey, let's be reasonable and trying to like, you know, like don't take this God stuff so seriously and, you know, you gotta, you gotta leave space for you, and you have to have the confidence to say, no, 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 no. This is God has given me a great work. This is a great work. It may not look like a great work to you, but it's a great work because God spoke it to me. I know it. I'm supposed to focus. I'm gonna go after this until it's complete. I'm not leaving this wall. I'm not leaving this post. I'm not stopping until this work is complete. And with Nehemiah, he finished the work. He finished it in 52 days. And so you got to understand, like, this, this breach 
in the wall lasted 100 years. And some of you feel that way in your life. Like this thing that maybe I'm talking about, maybe it's a new thing. Maybe God spoke to you a month ago. But for some of you, you you've been living with this for several years. And it's built up such steam in your life. You're thinking, well, this will never happen. That's what happened to the Israelites. They were discouraged. They were downbeaten. Bullies just come, took their, beat them up and took their lunch money. Anytime anything good happened in their life, it was taken away. And they just were discouraged and discouraged. It lasted 100 years. But in 52 days, in 52 days, in 52 days, in ways that he would have never expected, resources from a king came to him, and he finished it in 52 days. You may look in your situation, you're like, man, this is just something I'm supposed to live with. I've had this debt forever. I've had this problem forever. I've had this bitterness forever. It's just always going to be with me, always going to be with me. As the enemy just keeps beating you down, beating you down, beating you down, beating you down. God, we want to say to you, God wants to give you the resources, even ways that you can't see. So what is it for you? Could be your marriage, I mentioned that. Could be kids, I mentioned that. Relationship, someone else, unforgiveness, bitterness. Could be relationship with God. Maybe you just feel insecure. I mean, that's it. I feel insecure in my relationship with God. I mean, just as a preview, next week we're going to address that head on. But you don't have to wait a week. Today, you, you can get security in that. Maybe it's an it's it's issue of, like, an, you, it's an addiction. Maybe you drink too much. How do you know if you drink too much? Someone has said to you before, you drink too much. That's how you know. And I'm serious about that. They prayed about it. They thought about it. And they finally said, you know what? I, I can't. I have to say something. You drink too much. You have a, some hidden uh, addiction to pain pills, and you didn't mean to do that. You, you got hurt, and you got a pills from a doctor, and you got pills from another doctor, and they all think that you need pain medication. You just have four of them. And you didn't mean to do that, but it's there. And now you feel ashamed, and it's, just, it's there. It's debt you've been carrying around. I can never get rid of it. It just carries you around. You're just, your finances are in ruin. Or maybe it's, maybe you feel like, well, you know, like I, I don't have any obvious things like that in my life, but God is giving me a burden. He has, been, he has given me a burden for something I see in the community, a breach I see in the community in someone else's life that I, I, feel, I feel called to do something about. Or maybe it's a passion for, for uh, someone in, in broader society who's, who's marginalized. God, God's putting on you a passion for something, to do something. And you've just allowed that to sit on the shelf. And, well, this isn't a good year, and this is, this is why this isn't happening. This is why, but God keeps bringing it back up and bringing it back up. In fact, you get irritated now that it gets, keeps getting brought back up. Would you climb up that ladder today and say, I'm going to give myself to this. I don't care what it costs me. It may cost me my job. It may cost me my career. It may cost me... It may cost me what perceived happiness. It may cost me perceived for free time, but I don't care what it takes. I'm not coming off this wall until it's finished. As we close, I just want to give us a little 
more direction on this. Paul said this. We talked. We started with athletes. We'll end with athletes. He said every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a wreath, a prize that is temporary. But we, that is, those are things that God asks us to do, is imperishable, meaning it's eternal. So there, there are athletes, there are business people that with great discipline say no to good things in order to do great things, and they do it for what? A better paycheck? A corner office? A little prestige? You know, a boat? Some free time? The things that God asks you to do, anything God asks you to do is a great thing. It may not seem like a great thing. Well, you know, just giving, playing catch with my son, serving someone else's kids, leading a, a community group. People come and mess up my house and they leave. And was that a great thing? Anything God has to do is a great thing. People in business, athletes, they do it for something that just 30, 40, 50, 60 years, maybe it'll last. We do it for something that's eternal. Whatever God asks you to do, whatever it is, it has eternal impact. So let's not run aimlessly. We're in a race. The writer of Hebrews says something very similar. He says this, let us lay aside every weight and sin. So there is sin that you seem to get rid of, but there are weights that are holding you down from running the race that God wants you to run. They're not bad things. They may even be good things. They're just not the great things that God's asked you to do. And they're slowing you down. So let's cast those things away. Let's lay aside every weight. How do we do that? By doing this, by looking to Jesus. You know, we've been talking about Nehemiah, but there was a greater Nehemiah in Jesus. Nehemiah was, was told by God to, to, to repair a breach in a wall. Jesus was told by God to repair a breach in humanity. And he was given that. And from a very early on, his, this, this call was threatened. It was threatened by Herod who tried to kill him. And then as he started his public ministry, the enemy tried to tempt him away. So he got head-on opposition from the devil. And then as he moved on, the enemy used religious leaders to try to get him away. And then, and then he used his friends. His friends said, no, 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 you don't go to the cross. You don't go to the cross. You don't go to the cross. Jesus is like, I can't. You don't know what you're talking about. I can't come down until it's finished. In fact, it says in Luke that he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. And he didn't let success, he didn't let anything. I mean, the crowds were like, an encore, encore. You know, we want more of you, Jesus. He's like, no. There's a greater thing that I'm called to. And he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. And even on the cross, check out what they said to him. They, they ridiculed him. If you are the son of God, they said the same thing that Sam Ballot said to Nehemiah, come down, come down, come on, be reasonable. You're the, if you're the son of God, do this. You know, you could save others, save yourself. And Jesus in his silence said, no. I'm not coming down until 
it is finished. How do we, how do we run after the great things that God has for us? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. We look to him. Even when it's our, our very lives are at risk, we look to him.